can't have six kids and 15 grandkids like my mom did and not have a comfortable relationship to chaos. She embraced chaos and found joy in it. And she even had this ability to be the calm eye of the storm. To me, though, as I sat there seeing all this happen, I felt like the world was ending. And not only that, but I would have to put all the pieces back together again by myself. Hey there, welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, Kurt and I will tackle one question, and we will answer it as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. This week's question is emotional truth important in storytelling? And I have got a lot to say. But first, our feature storyteller for episode number two, Andrew Shelfo. Andrew lives up in Massachusetts. He has got an eight-minute story, a grit story he's about to tell. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. My disillusionment with the Catholic Church began when I was eight years old. It's the final day of rehearsal before my first communion, and the adults in charge explained that we're going to be doing a walkthrough in the church, and it'll be very important for us to walk on the diamonds on the floor. This is very exciting because up until then, we'd been practicing in a boring classroom, and diamonds on the floor. I walked into the church with great excitement, and I looked, but I didn't see any diamonds. I ask where they were, and an adult points to the dull, diamond-shaped tiles on the marble floor. Right there, she says. I think about that when I walk into the same church 40 years later on the day of my mother's funeral. The funeral is the culmination of an exhausting 10 days, during which my mother went from being in the hospital to being at home on a hospice, and her children and grandchildren coming from all over the country to be by her side. While she was dying, we would take turns visiting with her in her bedroom. She would lay there in and out of consciousness, and we would be sitting in chairs around her bed having surprisingly normal and and sincere conversations. Sometimes she participates, sometimes she wouldn't, but we knew that she was just happy having everyone there around her. People were coming and going. Family members, friends from the old neighborhood, work friends, bridge friends, nurses and social workers. Now, you can't have six kids and 15 grandkids like my mom did and not have a comfortable relationship to chaos. She embraced chaos and found joy in it, and she even had this ability to be the calm eye of the storm. To me, though, as I sat there seeing all this happen, I felt like the world was ending. And not only that, but I would have to put all the pieces back together again by myself. After she passed, my two biggest tasks were to make the funeral arrangements, and write the eulogy. I'm one of six kids, and my five siblings, they, they asked me to do the funeral, to do the eulogy, and of course I said yes. My three brothers and I went to the local funeral home. This is where everyone in our town went when any, whenever anybody passed, and we met with the funeral director, who was the grandson of the founder of the funeral home. He was also someone that I went to high school with. 
His name was Mark, and he greeted us with platitudes of condolence. Mark was a big dork in high school, and sitting in his office upstairs in the funeral home, I saw that that while he had gray hair, he really hadn't lost a lot of that dorkiness. He was kind of awkward in his mannerisms, and he, and he had a nervous laugh, but somewhere along the way, he'd become a salesman. And he talked to us about great packages for caskets and luxurious funeral urns. Now, my mother was a frugal woman, and she left clear instructions in her will that she didn't want us to go over the top with the arrangements. So we hung tough with Mark, and we said no a lot. This was, after all, what my mom wanted in her will. To prepare for the eulogy, I talked to my siblings and my nieces and nephews about some of their memories. And Mary, one of my nieces, she told me a story about sitting next to my mother with her cousins around, and they were reminiscing about when they were little kids and they used to run around in the lobby of my parents' high-rise condominium complex. Uh, they'd run around and play. And the the lobby was a great place for kids to blow off steam, but it was also a, a big and echoey place. So it could generate a lot of noise. And some of the residents didn't really like that. And one day they were all out there playing and they were probably around, Mary was probably around four or five years old. And, and a resident walked right up to Mary and she said, you are a horrible, ugly little child. So Mary, in telling me the story, she says, what kind of a person says that to a little girl? And my mother pipes up and says, a real bitch. Everyone had assumed that she'd been sleeping. And this was not typical language for my mother, but it does show how defensive or protective she was of her family. I knew as soon as Mary told me that story that I had to include it in the eulogy. Mark meets us in the church vestibule before the funeral. And he's acting even more nervous than when we'd last seen him. I'd grown up going to church in that very same church every Sunday, and I hated every minute of it. Yes, there was the First Communion Diamond incident, but there was also just the rampant hypocrisy that that I couldn't avoid anymore. It really came to a head for me in high school when I would notice that the guys who were the biggest assholes at the party the night before were playing the role of the most devout Catholics on Sunday morning. They would sing the loudest, and they would vigorously pump hands during the sign of peace. I then went to a Catholic college, And I figured out that you can drink as much as you wanted at the campus pub on 25-cent beer night, but condoms were strictly forbidden. This was the same college where the president, who was a priest, got into trouble because he had an affair with his secretary. After college, I was a witness in my brother's annulment procedure, during which he had to basically deny that he had had children already. I'll never forget the exhilaration of skipping church for the first time. I was probably around, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old, and I convinced my parents to let my older brothers take me to church that day. So we all piled into the car, and we drove to church, but we didn't stop. We just kept on going, and we ended up going for a hike. Sure, later I experienced guilt that threatened to smother me like a blanket, but for one moment, it was great. Our family stopped going to church at some point. And that's great, but I think it was a little bit too late for me because going to church is what makes me hate Sundays to this day. Mass was always focused on depressing topics like death and sin, and there was always messages about how to live a better life and how important it was to go to confession, which was its own level of hell. When my father died about a dozen years before my mom, my mother told Mark 
that she did not want to have any mass for him. So I was surprised when a stranger stopped by while my mother was on hospice to give her daily communion. And I was surprised by the rosary that never left my mother's hand in those last few days. Look, Mark says, there's something I forgot to tell you, and, I, and I'm sorry, but the Monsignor, he really wants me to let you know um, to be respectful in your eulogy. This is a mass in a church, and he wants to make sure that we are not going to be doing anything that would be disrespectful. I'm thinking to myself, it's the day of my mother's funeral, and the Monsignor, via Mark, is telling me what I can and can't say about my mother. Now, I was really relishing the idea of enunciating with gusto the word bitch in that big old church. My moment comes after the Ave Maria brought me to tears. I get up from my pew and I walk across the diamonds, my good shoes clacking on the marble. And I mount the steps of the pulpit and when I get up to the top, I have a view of the church I'd never had before. There spread out before me in the pews are all of my family and most of my friends. I begin by introducing myself, and then I thank everyone for coming, and I do my best to fight the emotion. In the eulogy, I tell some anecdotes about mom. Some are humorous, some are serious, but I think they do a good job of capturing who she was. And then I get to the part where I plan to say the B word. I take a deep breath, but I don't say it. Maybe, maybe I couldn't say it. I told myself it was a eulogy, and it was never supposed to be about me and my relationship to the church. But maybe I told myself that because I didn't want to admit that I was scared. That cursing a church in front of the Monsignor, with everyone watching me as I'm in the pulpit, that that was just a line that I couldn't cross. I know that if she could, Mom would have told me that she was proud of me. Because that's what moms do. But sons are supposed to be strong. On that very important day, I wasn't strong enough to say what was in my heart. Again, our feature storyteller, Andrew Shelfo. Next up, Kurt and I tackle that question. Is emotional truth important in storytelling? Stick around after we're done. Andrew will answer that same question. You gotta start with truth. You could be ready to share everything and be clear on everything and understand everything about story. And if you're not being honest, you're wasting your time. You got to start there. Before anything else, be honest. I think sometimes that takes work. But once you're clear to be willing to say, yes, this thing, which I may not be proud of, Andrew's story as an example, I don't think he's proud of that, but he did it. Yeah. And what he gets is he can be proud of this story. Right. Yeah. And he knows. And we're talking about certain individuals who respect what gets caught in their conscious. And they're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't belong. That's not the type of person I want to be. And it's not confessional. It's just what happened. Just because you you effed it up then, well, that makes you a better person. Your ability to recognize one misstep in the past and your desire to maybe to try at least not to do it again. I think for me, one of the big reasons why that's so important, I now, maybe during the story, maybe after the story, I now I'm like, oh, I've been in that spot or a similar spot. How did I respond? How did I deal with that? In moments with Andrew's story, 
when in my life have I had that moment where I fucking wanted to say something and needed to say something, but I didn't do it. Yeah. And if they don't go there, they're not giving us something to then think about. We might think about it on our own some other time, but with respect to the story, that's a gift you're giving somebody. And even if it's not something you really want to think about, it's a gift. Yeah. It's not confessional. It's just generosity. This is what happened. This is what happens when you're a 38 year old man. Sometimes. If we're talking about truth and honesty, then two things that's interesting. One confessional is an interesting choice given what uh, Andrew's talking about and the, uh, the institution in which he references. Mm-hmm. But what's the difference then between a confession and emotional truth or emotional honesty that feels like they're not exactly the same thing? So when I use the word confession in this spot, I'm, it's with a negative connotation because it's sort of like an overshare, you know, telling the story from the wound instead of the scar, like they say. When we hear people confessing, we're not shoulder to shoulder with them. We're not walking alongside them like I do when I feel when I hear Andrew telling his story. We're cringing. We're feeling sorry that they're even doing this. We're maybe remembering the times early on when we were doing this a little bit. There are times when you see a great actor or actress or a performer, musician, who just seems to like open up a vein for you and just lets the flood of emotion out. And unfortunately, I think the translation is, uh, oh, shit, you know, all I need to do is be brave enough to reveal myself. Well, there's a lot of vomit in there that you have to wade through before you can put it into form like Andrew has. He didn't That's the thing I'm talking about, Kurt, with a lot of the stories centered on mental health that I don't like. Okay. Don't work. You're vomiting stuff out. And yes, thank you for having the courage to even go there. It doesn't make it something that's going to move me. Yeah. Or, and it's tricky. There's a fine line. It's not math or science where, all right, if you do these three things, guaranteed all of your audience is going to feel a certain way. We'll never have that guarantee. Yeah. We're kind of hedging our bets and saying, no, but I have a sense of audiences. And if we get 50 people together in a room, I'm pretty sure most of them are going to be on board if I take this route, but most of them won't be so much if I take that route. So do you feel like everybody has to go through this? It's doing anything in the arts or writing or storytelling. Let's just keep it to that. I'm zooming back in time and I know I did a lot of vomiting. I'm aware of it. And in the reading that I've done about writers, a lot of the early stuff is like, I remember this one great writer, I'm not coming up with her name right now. She's like, yeah, I wrote a lot of sad girl poetry. Yeah. For a long time. So, yeah. And I think some people use the word therapy. They'll say, Storytelling isn't therapy. I think that's what we're saying as well, right? It feels like this is something, a vent or a rant or whatever, if you want to call it vomit, that might be best suited for a therapist or a counselor. And I don't know exactly what the difference is, but I think we usually we can tell up. I want to answer your question. Not only do I think it's something we should go through, I think it's something we have to go through. So when I think about storytelling and I think about supporting other people, particularly in which, where they're sharing difficult stories. One thing that often we skip, and I think it might be part of the reason why these stories aren't working and they feel like vomit is, we don't actually 
we skip that stuff sometimes. And I don't know if you can do that. Now, granted, if something happened 20 years ago when it's a scar and you're ready, great. I were working with you or we were in a group. Maybe there's a line we're crossing that we shouldn't cross that really does belong in a therapist's office. But get it out. I'd rather you get it out with me or in a group than on stage. Get it out. Yeah. Let's create a space for you to get it out. I, I don't want you to break down. On, no. I don't want you to f- flip the fuck out and start yelling. No. I mean, and that might be something that needs to happen. Maybe not. that's not the space. But let's not rush past that. I hate to make this sound like when I'm listening to somebody trying to sift through this stuff and gain clarity and get a real story there that I'm just looking for, quote, unquote, gold, a, a term I use a lot. But that is a little bit of part of it. I don't know if you have to. Maybe that wasn't the best way of saying it. I don't know if you have to go through that. And everyone's in their own point in that process. But until you do, I don't think we know exactly what's going on always. It is necessary to sort of talk it out. And if you were writing, you know, there's this book called Writing Down the Bones that asks people or shows people that it's important just to just not to feel self-conscious and to get the stuff out. And sometimes in a workshop setting, as you said, you'll, you'll be like, oh, no, what you just said right there, that feels like it belongs in your story because it's honest, because you're not censoring yourself right now. So to answer your question, I think, yeah, you got you to sort of blurt a little bit, but then you got to shape, right? Absolutely. Okay, so back a couple minutes ago when you said sometimes we skip that stuff, I was wondering, did you mean... Are we skipping uh, being honest in our feedback for people because they're hurting? So now we're getting into another kind of truth in terms of not just the storyteller, but those around the storyteller who might be helping them in some way or supporting them in some way. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I think they're both, you know, you create a space in which that stuff can happen on both ends. That the person who's trying to craft this story, and we do tend to lean towards grit is more of the difficult, the tough stories. You got to create a space for them to be able to go there. And yeah, hopefully you've created a space where you can be honest, just as honest with the feedback. Yeah. How can somebody get better without getting, it's a balancing act because of course it's amazing or admirable that you're willing to go there. That stands on its own. That's a given. Probably not enough. I've heard a lot of stories about a lot from a lot of really brave people and they're flat and they're vomit and they're a wound and they're not shaped or crafted or workshopped. And it shows if your intention is to what, what, why do we tell stories? Maybe it's to raise awareness or increase understanding, or maybe if it's to move people in some way, if that, that takes work, 99% of people don't just do that. If it's your own stuff, that is the hardest stuff to do it. A lot of the stories that we want to feature are stories that are big. It doesn't mean they're lifetime stories per se. They could revolve around one moment, but they're big. They're about your mom. They're about your mental health. They're about loss. They're about trying to understand your place in the world. There's a lot to choose from. Big story, and you've got all these choices to make. And a lot of those choices are what not to include in your story. <laughs> so you've got to make these choices and good luck doing that alone. You've heard stories from people who didn't take enough time or didn't get enough feedback. 
hopefully from people who know what they're doing and it's a given that they're well-intentioned and they're just all over the place. In the teller's mind, it makes sense. They know all the other stuff. They have all the things that we don't get to hear. It makes total sense. But to us, assuming we're not your best friend or your sister who might know some of that stuff without you saying it in your story, we're lost. The quicker you can at least try to get really clear and really honest with this thing you want to share, we can get to work. But if you're dilly-dallying around it, which I get because I do it all the time, because do I really want to tell you that thing I have some shame around? No. We were talking earlier about I, Sean, am okay with telling people or writing stories around suicidal ideation. That's a fucking big one, and a lot of people won't go there. For me, that's okay. I have no problem talking about two week-long stays in a mental hospital. Not everybody would do that. Okay. But there's other things that I'm not so quick to talk about. Right. The fact that I'm in my 40s and I've never really been in love. Now, if I'm going to write a story around that, again, it's a big story, man. I, got, I could probably feel like I could talk for hours about that. Guess who doesn't want to hear that? Everyone. <laughs> so now I've got to make some choices. Yeah. And I want Kurt's help or somebody else's help in doing that. Let's have that conversation. Kurt, ask me the right questions. Ask me good questions. Challenge me. Do it in a, in a compassionate way, of course. So you help me figure out what is the truth behind this? What's the real emotional truth? And what do we want to choose for this story? And what do we not want to choose? They might belong in other stories. So my point, a couple of things, if they're big, so we've got these choices to make and we can't make them if we're not being honest. We just can't. Right. You, you, you can't do it without me necessarily realizing it or wanting to, oh, that thing that I think I want to go to, that real truth. Say I want to go there, but guess what in my story? Oh, Sean, guess what? We really didn't hear what I think you're trying to say here because yeah, you, it's not an easy place to go. Do I really want to dive deep into never being in love? Do I really want to dive deep into having fairly lengthy stints in my life where I was essentially fucking in poverty? No. So either you have a choice, right? That's a story you don't want to tell. There's things I'll never tell. I don't want to. I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. But if I really want to uh, uh, go to these places, I got to go there. I have met people who tell stories who seem to go there rather quickly and rather easily. Most don't. The best storytellers, the best stories, I don't know their process necessarily and how they get there. When they're telling their story, unless they are exceptionally good and talented bullshitters, you know you're hearing somebody who is being really honest with both themselves and thereby the uh, audience. And you know it. And you stop doing everything else and you listen. And that's a fucking gift. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right on. By the way, I mean, the morning that you wake up and you say, you know what? I'm going to tell this story, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to, there's a story that I want to tell about being in my forties and never having fallen in love. That's exactly the kind of story that alleviates loneliness in the world. And one of the reasons when five minutes ago, you asked, why are we doing this? One reason that a lot of people offer, and I think we both think about this a lot is connection. hundred percent. And, and in any of the arts, that phrase alleviates loneliness and uh, someone else is going through this shit. Yeah. You know, like 
I will never forget you, Sean Wellington, because I felt like I was the only guy in my 40s who was still who was single or whatever. The other podcast I have, Suicide Noted, I've had people tell me essentially why it's important. And I don't disagree. If you feel it's important for this reason or that reason, great. My main reason for doing it is what you just said. People might hear this conversation and feel a little bit less alone. If it ended there, I'm happy to continue doing it. Yeah. That even if there's no other sort of goal or takeaway or mission or thing that we've, quote, un- accomplished, people hear it and feel a little bit less alone. It might be fleeting. It might not. I do the podcast. I feel a little bit less alone. I've been on the receiving end where I hear a story or maybe a speech or something. It doesn't only need to be story, but that's what we're talking about. And they're not necessarily talking about loneliness. That's not the point. What they're doing is saying, here's this real thing that's really hard that I really went through. And I'm thinking because you've done your work and you're being honest. And yes, you're probably including some things around story that we geek out on and we will continue to dive into throughout the podcast because you did those as well. Because you probably had some good feedback from someone who really cared and knew what they were doing. I'm listening and I'm thinking, there's at least one other person who kind of gets this. So you talk about connection, yeah? And that's why there are people in the world that I've never met and don't know well and I feel connected to. And there's people in this world who I've known for years and I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty incredible art too. I was reading this morning, like if you get a 300-page book, it's going to take you a long time to get through. Yeah. 300-page book, it's a huge investment in time. Mm-hmm. Okay, because most of us read, it takes a while. It takes a couple of weeks, maybe. If you get a movie, it takes you 90 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of movies come from the, whatever you want to call it, like the entertainment industrial complex. It's just mm-hmm. to distract you. People argue that there isn't a lot of art making going on. There are formulas getting spun out of Hollywood, et cetera. But things like uh, storytelling, it's not touched by anything corporate. We're not really answering to anybody. You can be making six-minute stories all the time. And if you do it well and skillfully, you care about it and respect people's time, and you can engage them. That woman, Anna, uh, was talking about Cheryl Hamilton's partner. She said to me at Stories from the Stage, when I was like trying to calm my ass down for my performance, I was talking to her, and she said, the thing about storytelling is, in her Irish accent, you know, it's you making like a six minute movie in someone else's mind. She's like, yes. how does it get any better than that? Incidentally, they walk away feeling less alone or they feel like changed in any way, or maybe they're doing a redirect because of what they heard you say. That doesn't take a couple of weeks. That doesn't take 90 minutes. It doesn't take a lot of waiting through a bunch of bullshit that's coming out of Hollywood. Right. No, you've got another person who learned a few things about storytelling, and they're now able to convey some real essence of humanity that you don't get to think about when you're at work. You don't get paid to think about this stuff. A lot right. of people never have this in their lives. And they get home, they park the car, they throw on the TV, you know, have some dinner, have a few drinks, lie down, repeat. It's, it's very easy to forget that, especially if you spend a lot of time in this world. Not everybody's doing this. In fact, almost 
everyone's not doing it. And most people don't have that. So you're right. Most people don't do it on either end. They don't hear it. They don't tell it. They don't, it's not really, they're just in their life, hustling, making the choices they need to make, trying to get by and they don't have it. And so, yeah, it's a gift. Whether you're on a stage, which has its own unique sort of and very powerful texture to it, even if you're not, I mean, we're in, we're in a lockdown. There's not many stages. If your stage is Zoom, is it ideal? No, I'd prefer to be on a live stage. I think it's different. I think it's better. If you're willing to be seen, you'd better be, you know, ready to be honest because people are going to see you as a fraud if you're if you're just playing it some other way. And that's another very cool thing about this. And Andrew's story is really interesting because there's a sort of meta thing going on. Andrew with us for this podcast, it feels very real and honest and true. You feel it. You feel it. You know it. His story happens to revolve around something in which he wished he had been more honest or true. He, He didn't nail it then. So it's, I just think that's an interesting sort of, I'm not sure what exactly of this moment in his life where he wished he had whatever he needed to really go there. And in some weird way, I like the fact that he's not making that mistake with us. He knows what it takes to create something that might have two guys like us to, talking about it. Just a couple words personally that Andrew told me about himself when I was talking to him the other day. He's, he works at a boarding school in Western Massachusetts. He at one point got his uh, PhD, in, I think, in, in literature. And then he figured out how to be like the IT guy at the school. Like he has like both sides of the brain going on at a high level, in other words. But inside all that, there must be, and this is me projecting and wondering, but it's got to be this guy who's like, I have been so moved by other people's stories throughout time. I want to put my ladle in that soup. I want to make that happen for me. That's what makes me tick. And you can hear it in his voice. In a conversational way, we, we talked about a story, went back and forth on different versions of the story. You can, you can hear it in his messages that it really matters to him to get it right. And what is right? Right to someone like that is, did I get to the emotional honesty of this story? Did I scrape away enough of the tedious details that you're understanding why the story sticks in my craw? And I also trust him and love the fact that he's like, yeah, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to be the quote unquote hero, but hey, don't get me wrong. It's not a story that makes me look like I'm the protagonist. I'm the guy moving through this story. I'm a human being and this is what's up. And this is the emotional truth of every step of the way, right to the very end when I'm burying my mother and I make a misstep. You think on that day when you go to the altar to give your mother's eulogy that you are given like the house money that you can do no wrong. Everybody feels a sort of sympathy for you when you're up there and you're celebrating this woman's life. By the way, he's one of five kids, okay? I hope I have the number right. I know it's a big family. And he's up there and he has the self-awareness to understand that, hey, if I ever got to do this again, you know, you don't like to think about doing another eulogy, but 
you know what? The kind of person I want to be is the person who friggin' just lets it out because I'm my own man. And nothing becomes more clear when you lose someone like your mother that you're, you are kind of on your own life. <laughs> like when you lose a parent, it's one step away from your horizon. You know, that, that gets moved away and then you're like, oh yeah, I'm middle-aged all of a sudden. And by the way, I've been trying to get my act together all this time. And here's another thing I fucked up at. You know, like I have those things going on. For sure. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why the story resonates. Yeah. A, a lot of people, and I'm not judging truly, but, but, but I will say a lot of people would go through something like that or have gone through things in their life that can, they could equate and do a few things. And he may have, gone, he may have done this at, at points of that was the right thing, actually. No, what I did was the right thing. I get why you would do that. And with some time, maybe you realize, as it seems he has, and I don't know if he thought that, by the way. No. And then I want to tell this, not to vomit it. Right. I feel like I need to tell the story. It's for me. It's for those that might hear it. You feel it. You also know when there are people, they seem like they've got this thing and they're painting good pictures and they're doing stuff with their delivery and all of these other things. And you're left with, you know what? I don't believe you. Totally. And for me, that's the biggest thing. I never want to feel that. Okay. So your starting point is not that. And I'm like in, I'm like, I believe this person and I'm yeah. with them. That's the way you, you got to start there. Yeah. Yeah. I had a thought too. And this, this speaks to some, a point you've made when you said, you know, he could have said a couple of things to himself at that point. I was thinking, yeah, he could have said, and you hate this word or you hate when people do it, but he could have said some platitudes, right? He could have said, you know what? I was a guy bearing his mother that day celebrating. I did the best that I could. Mm -hmm. And that's how you sweep something under the rug. That's fine. If you're it's fine. We cars, all do it. We all yeah. do it. If you're going to tell a memorable story, you're not doing that. You're probably not going to move me with that. Yeah. Right? You're probably not going to move me with that. I'll listen. It might be good and funny or interesting or this or that. And I might happen to have enough things that happen in my life where I relate. You know, maybe I lost a parent or I dealt with the church. And, you know, you might get a little lucky there and that we had some events that overlap. And so you have that going for you. But I'm going to be way more interested and invested and curious and connected when you get real with it. Oh, no, I could have done better. I mean, I'm not punching myself in the face for it. I'm not fucking killing myself for it. But no, let me be real about it. I could have done better. I wish I had done better. Now I've got the, that's, that's my story. I'm like, I'll listen to that. Right. And, and by the way, just so everybody knows about storytelling, like I could see the exact same storyteller next time making me laugh my ass off. Sure. It's just that was a story that occurred to him this time to develop. He literally developed it for the show. It wasn't one he had told before. I think your question is an interesting one. Is emotional truth important in storytelling? I'll be honest and say I never really thought about it until you posed the question because I thought it was just kind of implied or understood. One of the things I like about storytelling is 
that there's an implicit agreement between the storyteller and the audience about what is about to happen when somebody tells a story. And part of that agreement is that the storyteller is going to tell a story that is important and worth telling. And I don't know how you can tell a story that's important and worth telling without having emotional truth in it. Why would you want to do it any other way? Actually, I kind of know the answer to that, why you'd want to do it another way. I suppose it's because getting to the emotional truth in a story, a personal story, can be really hard sometimes. And I can understand if some people might want to avoid that. Stories are how we present ourselves to the world. And sometimes we tell ourselves stories that aren't 100% truthful. We lie to ourselves, which is no surprise. But the only way to get to a really rock-solid, rockin' story is if both the storyteller and the audience understand that it's going to be a journey towards some emotional truth. It might not be the easiest journey in the world, but in the end, it's going to be something very much worthwhile. <laughs>